Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mike Boris. My guest today is Sean Sather. Now, he is the founder of a business called Local Supply. Now, that's a sustainable, zero-waste eyewear label that is revolutionizing the production of eyewear, sunglasses in particular. Sean founded the business in 2013 after he lost a pair of expensive sunglasses. He decided to look into the margins and industry structure and felt there was an opportunity there. So he found a factory to make samples and from his living room in Bondi, slowly built the business from that point. Local Supply uses a plant-based resin to produce their frames, sustainably sourced and produced in Switzerland, resulting in 50% less carbon emissions than traditional eyewear. COVID gave the business a chance to completely pause all manufacturing and switch all processes and materials to making everything more sustainable. Local Supply saw online sales surge by over 50% in comparison to this time last year and are set to keep on growing. I'm going to ask Sean about his processes, the use of his convergent thinking as an engineering, when did creativity become important, the importance of social media to the brand and how he continually pushes for improvement across sustainability, design and innovation. So let's get into it. Sean Sather, welcome to The Mentor. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, rightio. So um, we're going we've to we've talk about eyewear. We're going to talk about sustainable eyewear or new types of sunglasses, I guess. And I've actually seen your stuff on the side of some buses probably going back uh, late last year. Are you Is that what you guys? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that is us. Yeah, it's got the big slogan, uh, made from plants, not petrol. Yeah, so, that's it. That's what I remember. Because that actually caught my attention, that bit, not petrol, which I thought was quite funny. Or I thought it was amusing because it was sitting on the side of a bus, which was spewing out a whole lot of... Um, Diesel fumes and uh, sort of like a, a slap in their face to some extent. It was it was a, sort of a like nearly like an anti ad for, for me when I saw it. I just I sort of I was a bit bemused by it. And here you are today. So your business is called Local Supply. What does that mean, Local Supply? Because I really love the name Local Supply. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, look, uh, it's the premise of the brand was for locals everywhere. So it was like uh, very much like about you know accessibility and equality and diversity. So I thought the price point was very important. Everyone wears sunglasses, but we didn't want to make this elitist brand. Um, and so I like the word local because I think it's very aspirational, but it's still accessible to everyone. I actually saw this definition of luxury. It was from an architecture firm in Melbourne. And it was like the two key elements of luxury are the freedom to be yourself and feeling at home or comfortable. 
Uh, and I think that's what you get when you're local. You, you can be yourself, but you also feel welcome and accepted. And I think that's a luxury that's accessible to everyone. And that's what we wanted our brand to be, something that's like, you know, it's still aspirational, luxurious, but it's it's for everyone. Yeah, I, I actually like it. it. It's actually, it's not a typical marketing type thing. It's it's local supply. To me, it, um, to me, it makes it sound accessible. Oh, great. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we and, want. And affordable. Yeah. And the definition, which is Professor Christensen's definition of um, disruption, of a disruptive business model, definition of a disrupt, because he's the one who comes up, he came up, Christensen came up with an, with the original concept of disruption in, a, in an academic sense, is accessible and affordable. So if you can come up with a word yeah, or a couple of words that give us accessible and affordable, you know, you're, you're on your way. All right. Um, I guess I want to know your story a little bit. I mean, I, I mean, I, I get in the, I saw in the brief that, um, you studied engineering, software engineering. I guess that means you, uh, were computer, you do computer science, something like that. What is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very, uh, computer science-ish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but like, I mean, I think the first couple of years of an engineering degree are all the same. It's pretty intense maths to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah. but I think there's a lot of that, like, I guess with computer programming and stuff, there's a lot of like logic and stuff to it so it's like if then else and that's yeah. the basic fundamentals of how you you do programming and stuff so like flow charting yeah yeah if not so, this and go there if if that go there yeah that's right so you've got like you know you've got your problem and then command I mean, it's been well, a long time since i've done it but like you know you've got your sort of issue and then you come up with a framework for solving that and it's kind of like building an architecture around it and then creating modules and stuff to solve those problems so you know, no one like what I'm doing now. I guess in some well, ways, business is like that. I mean, yeah. it is like that. I mean, it's it's it should be logical, by the way, business, but it rarely is because a lot of people start a business, particularly retail, and also manufacturing. There's a process in manufacturing. There's a process in a business. There's a structure in the business. There's a discipline to the business, which should be based on logic, and all these things can be flow charted, and um, you know, you can. Um, write down how your business operates in a flowchart or in a, in a, in a pack and you can actually build it into a, um, you can sort of build a rhythm. How important do you think it is, is it today for people to understand or have some sort of form of training in, um, in logic? You know, I, I probably over, uh, value that. I don't know. Cause, uh, for me, like I've probably got that sort of mathematical mindset. Like even when I was in uni, I used to work as a maths tutor. So, um, I find it like extremely important from everything from, you know, your business, just I mean, decision-making, maybe managing your personal finances, which is probably something you have a lot of involvement in with people. And I don't think a lot of people actually understand a lot of what goes on. So when you there. say you have a maths, you mean you you like to apply mathematical thinking, what do you mean by that? Because, I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting for people to understand how people with your thought process, I wonder whether someone like you who has a thought process and it's what I call convergent, you know, one plus one does equal two, it doesn't equal anything else. Um, and, uh, yeah, you have logical conclusions as through your process. How important is that in terms of you applying that to how your business runs or how you go about your business or go about designing a business or go about building the architecture around how your business is going to run? I mean, maybe you could explain how you think about building or starting up your business and building a business. Yeah, I think um – I think it was a lot of like looking at the problem and then kind of isolating, you know, which, which part of this can I solve in like a small sort of way. And certain things that you learn have more leverage than others. Um, and I think that's probably, I, I would say, a framework leverage. Um, so yeah, I, I guess when we sort of started, I was very like, 
I, you know, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like, you know, I, I have a software engineering degree. I worked in software for a little while. I actually worked in investment banking for. I saw um, that you went to a master's degree. So, so that was so the fashion stuff was actually I had absolutely zero idea. I didn't really understand the maths of that either because I didn't really understand wholesale margins, and uh, so I did a lot of investigating to to figure out how how that sort of stuff worked. Um, but really, like you know, I applied I'd say a lot of that technical aspect to just even like making of the product because. It was interesting. I actually listened to your podcast with um, the guy from Budgie Smuggler, which yeah. I thought was great. And I thought like it was quite interesting the difference in the way their their production is run. It's probably a little bit more, um, I guess, closer to like you know, cut and sew sort of stuff. Whereas eyewear is uh, a little bit more like manufacturing, like a, a bigger product, like you know, in, in the way that we do it anyway. Because you're you're working with uh, injection molds and and tooling, and there's big upfront cost, uh, and you kind of have to isolate small things. So you know, with this last uh, range that we did that's actually made out of the plant-based resin, uh, we actually did the first uh, prototype of that five years ago. But it turns out, like, you know, when you're playing with new materials, there's some stuff that you don't really expect. Like the material was actually a little bit softer than the previous material that we'd used, which was a more of a standard sort of nylon. So the screws were, like, overturning, and it was actually breaking the hinge. Uh, and when you're, sometimes you don't see those problems in the prototype. You only see them when you've made, you know, 2,000 of them. Um, so that was... Yeah, you know, minor disaster. But then we sort of just took that thinking. I'm like, okay, well, the problem is the hinge. Like, you know, we can't have the screw going into the plastic. It has to go into uh, another metal component. So it was really a lot of like, just, okay, well, I, I don't think we're going to throw this away, but we're going to look at it and go, okay, well, how can I fix this hinge? And then once we fixed the hinge, we just sort of like slowly like did everything like quite segmentally. Like, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Go, know. You know, it makes perfect sense to me. So because you're talking about error rates in things that can affect your warranties yeah. or returns. I mean, you're talking about error rates and uh, error rates are a really important thing. Yeah. And, and error rates, you look at error rates in a mathematical sense. I mean, you like to have, you know, if you apply the old General Electric uh, Jack Welsh uh, system, you know, you want to have um, one in a million, that's uh, uh, six deviations, ten deviations from the mean. You, do, you know, you, yeah. that's sort of what, what he had got me. He had to do that because he, was, right. he was building aeroplane engines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you don't yeah. want error rates. But he got that error rate thing and applied it to everything. So mm. he applied one in a million errors to everything that General Electric did, not only build aeroplane engines in terms of failures, but um, failure to answer a telephone call yeah. within a certain time and blah, blah, blah. And uh, error rate management is very mathematical yeah. and it's very logical. Because in just determining what your error rate should be, that's that is a mathematical outcome. Yeah, and and you work towards building that in a qualitative sense. But I guess what I'm trying to get to here is, Sean, is I'm trying to work out the right balance because some people say oh, I'm not very mathematical. I, I mean, it kills me when people say that. But like, I, I don't understand maths, and I did, couldn't understand it in school, and I, don't, I could never do that because I'm not very mathematical. What I'm trying to work out here is from someone like you who is very mathematical. How we work out in business what the proper balance between mathematical thinking, that is convergent thinking, that is one plus one is logic, two, versus divergent thinking, which is creativity. Um, and, uh, you know, how do I do it, uh, create a solution outside of the problem you just raised? That is, yeah. how do I find it? How do I come up with a solution yeah. to a problem? Yeah. Which is not mathematical. It requires diver- – I've got to think differently. I've got to think outside the box. Yeah. How, do you, how does someone who's a mathematical dude as opposed to those people who are all out there very creative and they, they, all the creative people say, I can't think mathematically. Yeah. Well, I'm still not talking to a mathematical guy. How do I get you – how do you tell me you think creatively then? Yeah. I think it's a balance of both. I mean, also working at the desk, um, you know, 
the market can be uh, mispriced a lot longer than you can stay solvent, right? So, you know, you, you can do stuff that's great in theory, but it might not work in practice. So I think for me, like being a consumer as well, and that's the mindset that I took to the, the, the business uh, is like, you know, okay, well, yeah, okay, a lot of this stuff is great in theory, but that only matters if you're looking at it at, at that level of detail. But, you know, consumer buying a pair of sunglasses, particularly under $100, isn't putting that level of thought into it. So that's why actually it comes back to the bus ads. Like, you know, we got that down to seven words and I was very much like, we have to get to seven words. We use that ad on Facebook and Instagram and I get all these like year eight, like science geniuses telling me, well, you know, petrol's made from plants as well. I'm like, yeah, man, it's made from the fossilized remains of like dead plants of animals from millions of years ago. It's non-renewable. But I had to get my copy down to seven words. So, you know, I'm going to deal with you trolls. That's okay. But, you know, I had to like get the message out to the most people that are only spending, you know, three seconds reading it. So it's just, there is that, that bit of trade-off. So even with like, you know, where the materials and production stuff. So I guess um, maybe, I don't know if this is answering your question, but going down to like building the product, it was very much like, okay, well, Yes, there there is a technical way to do it, but then there's also a way that actually makes a difference to the consumer. And that's probably where I was talking about leverage. And I watched some um, movie the other day and the, the guy's like, you know, don't spill, I think it was Bad Boys, the guy's like, don't spill like, you know, coffee on my seat. It's like, this is hand-cut leather. Now, who cares if it's hand-cut leather? What, is it better <laughs> to be hand-cut or is it better to use a, a more quality material? Uh, and that's sort of where like, you know, I even looked at the fundamentals of like, well, for me, the idea for sunglasses came after I lost a pair and looked at the margins, the cost and stuff. I was like, well, why is it made using this material and why is it handmade? But it's, like, it's a very much an engineering uh, thought process. Yeah. I mean, not everybody thinks that way. I yeah. Mean, most, people, most people come up, most people I interview here, come, they come up with a, there's a, a problem in the marketplace in relation to a product or service that they've encountered. Yeah. And then they come up with a solution hopefully that no one else has come up with. Yeah. What you're doing here is um, you've queried why something is being made a certain way. Yeah, it was inefficiencies, which really yeah, bothered that, me. Which is math, which, <laughs> that's the mathematical, that's, yeah. and that's probably my point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's looking at it from a mathematical outcome. Like, yeah. It's very engineering. I mean, yeah. engineers do that all the time. I mean, you didn't say, oh, there's a problem and I've got to solve it. You come at it from, oh, I wonder how they did this and can I do it a better way? Is that, yeah. is that your style of thinking? Yeah, I'd say so. And that's yeah. sort of what I call, that's a mix of being creative, but at the same time, the solution is very convergent in the way you're thinking because you use mathematics and, um, and uh, um, rules to try and solve the issue, solve the thing you're pondering about. Yeah. I mean, I need to know, I mean, it's driving me crazy, but I need to know. We just sort of playing around. We just sort of sitting there looking at these sunglasses, just staring at them and looking at the materials and playing with it and bending it and flicking it around. Is that how you did it? Well, fortunately, there's a lot of stuff on the internet now, so, yeah, so yeah. I was like mostly just spending a lot of time reading up on the on the. It's the same deal, though. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the same as playing with the material on a desk. Yeah. I mean, so I I talk, I and the, I you know I find the easiest way to learn stuff is just to talk to people who make it. So we I contacted like a lot of different factories to figure out like how they were kind of doing it. And like not everyone wants to give you information. So you yeah, yeah, just totally. got to kind of connect a lot of dots. Because, so. you know, a lot of people go, oh, wow, how did this guy come up with the idea? They just think that one day you wake up with a brilliant idea and then you just start manufacturing and the next thing you know, you've got yeah. this eyewear, sunglass, sunglass eyewear that's going great. Yeah. You know, and I see you've had a 50% kick up, uplift in terms of sales last year. Yeah. So everyone goes, oh, wow, I, mean, I, I wonder if I could do that. But what they don't realize is the process of getting there. And that's yeah. sort of what I'm getting at now. Yeah. Maybe you could explain 
the first day that you thought, oh, I'm going to look th- look through this and take me through maybe the next 10 sessions, what did you do? You looked up Google or you looked up wherever you look up, DuckDuckGo, whatever you look up, I don't know what you look up, and then started investigating. You started making phone calls, ringing up the manufacturers, started probably talking to colleagues. Just take me through, take the audience through that process of how you thought, shit, I can do this. Yeah, look, it, it, I, I I think I approached it from both ways. One was the mathematical margin. I like one, like very like sort of technical in terms of like how is this made, where are the margins, where are the costs. Uh, the other one was maybe from like a business point of view, like the margins and that sort of stuff as well. And then the third thing was actually from the consumer behavior standpoint. Because I, I think, want to come back to the consumer yeah. behavior. Yeah, okay. Can sure. we park there for a yeah. second? And let's park margins, the financial analytics. Yeah. Let's just tell the audience, if you can recollect and just, you know, like in a broad sense, the how bit. The how you you sort of sat through and thought, oh, yeah, I get this material, that material, join that up. Like you tried to explain before about the the screws, yeah, and not not so much how you fix the errors, but how did you just sort of come up with the, the first prototype? First prototype was uh, definitely like looking at like what was already in the market. So I was looking at like various brands, and you kind of try to look at like the best in class brands, like you know, and also what they've done to change. So Oakley was a big one that I looked at because they're like probably the most technical but what do you mean by technical because the, the the frames that they use they do everything with injection molding they use a specific type of nylon um to make their frames super flexible lightweight durable it's very good for sports um frames you can fit various lenses into it but the other thing is like they um they manufacture in the u.s which i say with a little bit hesitance because it's not all manufactured in the u.s it used to be manufactured in the u.s so to do that you need to get the the end completion steps to as minimal as possible. So if you pick up a pair of traditional Oakleys, they don't have a hinge because fitting that hinge in like a country like the US is actually quite expensive. You mean hinge? like that, They, that, they that, wouldn't have like, that's like a pair that, of soles. They wouldn't yeah, have that. Like, no. You've been talking about they, that They clip in, they're plastic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's no breakable parts. So no, so I actually did speak to the guys that make uh, Oakley's tooling. Um, they actually uh, a company you that actually- You what tooling mean? Tooling is? Tooling is a big- um, Injection mold, like so, it's a die. So it's essentially a you big explain block what a die is because people it's know what that is. It's, it's, it's a, a big block of metal. So there's two ways of making sunglasses, which I'll, I'll just stick to this one, which is essentially like uh, it's like having a like a plaster cast, I guess. Like yep. you know, but is it made uh, out of metal? It's made out of metal. Like this thing probably weighs like a couple of hundred kilograms. And it's called a die. It's called a die, and you like essentially it has the cavity, which is the shape of the glasses in it of the frame. Uh, yeah, of the frame. Um, so you heat up the plastic pellets. Uh, you shoot it into the die. Uh, they inject, they inject, the, inject, inject them into yeah, the die, which which is enclosed. Yeah. And then um, then you have to open it up and take the parts out. Yeah, and, and then they trim it a bit. You cut the runners. Yeah. Uh, it looks a bit like a, one of those mold car kits you would have yeah. got when you were younger, yeah. where it's all in like one frame yep. and you cut the, the runners off yep. and then you assemble it. Um, there's typically a bit of polishing involved, but depending on the quality of the die that you use, there's less work afterwards yeah. because you can get the finish of being matte or you can get the finish of being polished. Um, there's also a certain number of like shots it could take. So how many frames can you make per die? So the, the dies that Oakley use would be, I'm not trying to advertise Oakley here, but they, they are a great brand. Um, they'd take probably like, I'm guessing like a hundred thousand or a million shots. Like we're never going to need that for one shape. Um, the factory that makes those dies also makes all the stuff for Dyson vacuum cleaners. So those dies are like 50,000 US dollars. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you kind of want to get right when you're playing around with that sort of stuff. But it makes sense, 50,000, because you might yeah. get a million pairs out of yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, actually your running cost is 
the, the most of the cost in it is actually a result of the die and then the machine runtime. Because if you don't, either you own your machines or you contract manufacturing where you're effectively renting that machine and whatever the runtime is on that machine, including the setup and stuff, that's what you're paying for. The material itself is quite minimal. Like, you know, there's only maybe, you know, 40 grams of whatever material in there. And if you're smart, you can actually refeed the, the, the runners into the machine as well. So that's the stuff you trim off. Yeah, that's right. So that, and that's where we get to sort of like using zero waste. Um, so that's like, you know, a big part of the efficiencies and stuff. So that kind of goes back to my hand cut leather. Like, you know, if you're not, if you don't have lots of scraps, you can actually spend more on the material. And if you're not spending a lot on the actual handwork, so that's why, you know, and I've seen some startups actually making stuff here as well. And I, th- and we looked at making our stuff here. Um, and the big thing was eliminating the post-production stuff to actually keep the, the cost down. There. And again, in Australia, when, when you looked at the Oakley, so that's what you call best, one of the ones that call best in class. Yeah. Um, which is just one molded frame yeah. without any so-called moving parts, or yeah. even though it's flexible. I, don't, I haven't seen your sunglasses, but what did you decide? You've got a pair on you. Yeah, I do. Just I do. So um, you, so you, you've got a, you've got actually moving parts. So these, this does have moving parts. Yeah, it's yeah. got a hinge, which was the bit that took like five years of tweaking. Yeah. But we use a very similar material. This is actually a plant-based one, but prior to that, we still used a nylon. Yeah. Um, and so it's super flexible, lightweight, hypoallergenic. It's also chemical resistant and UV resistant, which is kind of important for some. Right. Glasses, so, so, so you, you, you decided though when you seen you saw the Oakley one, you decided to have a hinge on yours. Let's call it hinge for the for one of a better word. You decided to put a hinge on yours, yeah, as opposed to going one nylon injected plastic mold. Yeah, you decided to have. What did you decide to have? I mean, where and where was the die made? Who who cast the die for you? We uh, we the first one we did was uh, made in Taiwan. Um, it was just super expensive to make them here, to be honest. Yeah. So it was a bit of negotiation where we're like, okay, well, can you subsidize the cost of the die if we make X amount of frames? So. Our business model was super simple. We only started with one pair of sunglasses. And again, that was maybe replicating the Oakley. One line of sunglasses, you mean? One shape. Yeah, one, one shape. Li- in- one line as opposed to one, one lot. You had Oh, yeah, no, not one pair. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no. We had one line. So yeah. it was just one shape, um, which is pretty unusual for, uh, for any sort of brand, like a clothing brand that just has one T-shirt. Um, so we, we did that because, again, I kind of looked at Oakley, and Oakley kind of launched in the 70s, and they had um, the one – shape which was the frog skin available in like 20 colors and i was like you know what oakley did that back then um there was like the the price point thing where when they launched they were like 40 dollars and now they're you know 150 and i thought you know what no one's actually like taken that gap that oakley's left when they started raising their prices so i felt like there was an opportunity so you 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 thought you could you could sort of nudge into the marketplace with with a price point too Yes, that's right. Because yeah. I felt like that's how they launched. I felt yeah. like a lot of these brands actually launched at a reasonable price point. Like Ray-Ban and Oakley used to be sub $100, but they're both owned by Luxottica now. And this goes back to, now to industry mechanics, but they're owned by the same company now and they've become premium brands and their prices have increased. But if anything, the manufacturing costs have actually gone down. Yeah. Um, so that was me also going, well, that doesn't actually make any sense because you managed to make it for X dollars before and now you're selling it for... For, for so much more. That is sensible, what you just said. So you decided to go to market with the price, yeah. but you had to build a product that yeah. allows you to go to market with price. Yeah. In terms of designing your product, what did you do to make the price the most efficient apart from, and I'm not talking about here, I'm trying to manage your upfront cost costs by getting your Taiwanese dye maker to carry the cost 
and recoup it over time as you yeah. got your things made, yeah. which is what you did. Um, I, I'm not really interested in the sort of the cash flow sort of thing, but how did you work out how do I make these sunglasses? What did you launch? What price did you launch at? Uh, we launched at 60 okay, so, dollars. Uh, 60 yeah. Aussie dollars, well. Yeah. So you launched at 60 Aussie dollars. How did you go about building your cost structure to make sure that you still made a margin at 60 bucks? Well, actually, in I, didn't, terms of I design. didn't understand cost structure was the problem. Like, you know, I didn't really realize how much margin retailers took and stuff. So I think I built it off the back of like, I thought this would make sense online uh, and I priced it as such. And for me, $60 was a psychological price point for what we were doing at the time. Um, and you, you believed 60 bucks was the right price to get the consumers to buy your product or behave in yeah. a certain way in relation to your product. Yeah. Yeah. So you you cast your price yeah. around consumer behavior. Yeah. Well, you thought consumer behavior was going yeah. to react yeah. a certain way. So, and then I guess we just probably ate it on the margin yeah. to, to make it work. Did you make any margin? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we definitely made margin, yeah. Yeah, I mean, manufacturing can, you know, at the time the business model was quite good because we only had one shape. So most of the cost was in the, the startup and then like, after that, when you've only got one shape and, you know, I didn't have any staff, it was just me. I mean, honestly, we didn't even have a warehouse. Like our first customer was David Jones, but I was running out of the living room, like from my place in Bondi, like literally up to the ceiling, just boxes of sunglasses. And every time we get an order, I'd load it into the back of the car, sometimes three trips to Marrickville to our, our warehouse, and then they'd ship it to David Jones. <laughs> so it was run pretty lean. But it was, it was, you know, very much that applying that mindset of like, hand cut leather. I'm like, does this need to be hand cut? Like, you know, can we do something that's more efficient? So we did find a way to go, okay, well, we could like sacrifice on this. So, cause there's like, you know, for example, there's different ways to make polarized lenses. Uh, and one of them is quite expensive and one of them is like much more cost effective, but I think people want polarized lenses. So they, like, they want, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. And it's a, I, to me, it's a quality signifier. Even if people don't even know what polarized does, which I, I'd argue a lot of people don't. Um, when I, built the business model and the margins, I always had in my head, it's got to be like an online thing and hence why I also didn't want it to have like a very high price point. So for $60, you launched one line of sunglasses, which were injected, molded in Taiwan with anti-glare lenses and you sold them online? Yep, these are available. We sold them online, but we were very lucky to have David Jones. And David Jones stocked range, them as well. So they stocked them our as well. Range, yeah. And you basically were running the shop on your own. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, the whole process from uh, warehouse to uh, to delivery to, uh, I presume, assembly. Did you put the lenses yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. I, I was putting the lenses in and I was packing them. Like, So we were getting yeah. like a boxes and cases from different places. So I'd like make each pair. Yeah. I like quality control them. Cause the other thing is like when you're making that volume of product, like, you know, there is a, a quality issue. I, I took everything very, very personally. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to check the manufacturers and make sure they were doing a good job. Like the first time actually, yeah, like I would say I was heavily involved in checking probably every single pair that went out. Yeah, but that's good um, because so, you, know, you know everything about the process. Yeah, yeah. So you, I also knew the weak points. So I knew where, when stuff was breaking, I knew this is the common fault because I was, there looking at each individual one. And I saw that, you know, first time around they weren't cutting the lenses the right way. So there's a bit of a bulge. So, you know, we addressed that. And then I saw that, you know, if there was a crack, it was happening around the hinge. So we had to fix that. So yeah, it was, it was very, very hands-on. And like, to the point where like, I was also like, every time we got an online order, I was like filling out the prepaid post slip and walking down to the post office on Hall Street. I don't know, I think everyone in Bondi runs their own business. Cause I'm like Friday at 3 PM, there's like a half an hour line. I've got like two pairs of sunglasses that I'm probably making 20 bucks on. And I'm like, I left the job in investment banking. I'm like, 
fuck my life. What have I done? <laughs> but you had fun though. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was very satisfying. But yeah, question your the the financial aspect of that decision. But, but, but all startups like that. I mean, yeah. I think, I think all most startups like that. We're going to go to the break. We're going to come back because I want to talk to you about the uniqueness of your product. I do want to talk to you about uh, the plant-based materials. I'm, I'm really interested in the materials, the engineering of the materials. Um, and I want to talk to you about um, how you market your business. So, I mean, it's all about, especially when you've got plant-based materials, you got to tell that story. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, people just go, oh, shit, another pair of sunglasses. I mean, you go to sunglasses, how to one of those places, there's, there's about a million pairs of sunglasses. Yeah. You tend to, I tend to anyway, just pick the same brand that I've always picked. Yeah. So to break into that market as a new brand, I want yeah. to know how you went about that. So we'll go to the break and we'll come straight back. I'm back here with Sean Asafa, and his business is about disrupting the sunglasses market and the eyewear market, which basically is pretty much controlled by a couple of big operators who owned all the brands. I mean, we go and buy brands. We think, oh, well, I'm buying a pair of these and buying a pair of these. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're all owned by two or three big organisations. But Sean is trying to break through that or has broken through it to some extent, particularly here in Australia. I probably want to talk to you about now about, well, I want the audience to hear about, your proposition in relation to your sunglasses, um, from the brief I read and some of the ads I've seen on the back of buses where I didn't know you and I actually thought it was quite a cute, clever sort of um, slogan, your materials are different to what sunglasses are normally made of traditionally. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, so there's um, there's traditionally two ways of manufacturing sunglasses and let me know if I've gone into the realms of way too boring here <laughs> but um you can have handmade um acetate sunglasses or uh injection molded sunglasses um handmade acetate is very much like a using a cookie cutter so you get like a imagine you roll a sheet of dough and then you you cut the the frame shape out but if you've got a block of acetate and you're cutting out eye holes um like your frames there you can imagine how much of that is actually ending up as scrap like 90 percent of it is actually scrap um, and that ends up on the factory floor. Acetate um, being what type of material though? Acetate is also, um, I think you'd probably call it a bioplastic because it's it's derived from um, cotton and wood pulp, but um, typically 35% is plasticizers. So that makes it, you know, the the, the feeling that, that it actually has. But that's essentially, that, that method was very high scrap and also very labor intensive because there's quite a lot of handwork that goes into that. And that's so labor intensive, you don't care about that too much because that just adds to their cost. That's a problem for them. But what you're more concentrating on in terms of your brain is the wastage that they That's very create. high waste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that and waste goes where? Well, uh, I mean. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. No, I think it just goes to landfill because right. it's like, it's not actually biodegradable and it's not recyclable. That's the that point. Material. It's not bi- yeah. biodegradable or yeah. recyclable. Yeah. So wherever it goes, it goes. But it's, yeah. it's not biodegradable. And your proposition is... Which are, well, what that so opposes what that. we looked at that is that that's a high waste process. So that one, it's expensive, and two, it's also high waste. Then the other way of doing it is injection molding, where it's got very high style up costs. But to lower the cost, people will often put like quite cheap materials in there, and that's kind of where it gets a bad name. And that's why when I looked at it, I looked at Oakley because they were doing it in a different way to a lot of other people that were injection molding. Because the glasses that you find in like service stations are probably injection molded because that's like you know because they'll just make millions of those right and like if you use a really cheap polycarbonate it's not going to cost you a lot per frame so we looked at that process and we're like okay well there are better materials that you can use so you explain like, the polycarbonate problem uh polycarbonate is just like you know the i guess it's just you know plastic that you use anywhere but you know that polycarbonate has like you know bpa like it's it's also like i think it can be recycled on the some circumstances but it's kind of like just a dirty cheap plastic um then there's there's better forms of like what you can use in injection stuff, which is like synthetic nylons, which is like similar to what Oakley uses, and that's what we used when we first started. Yep. Um, and that's uh just from a technical aspect, it's much better for eyewear. It's also BPA free, but well, it's all more durable when you say much better. Right? Yeah, it's more yep. durable. Yep. So it's like it you know, I was sort of saying it bends and you know it doesn't doesn't crack and under as much heat and you know, or, and also like the other thing with eyewear is like the chemical resistance because people wear sunscreen and that and makeup and stuff. So that's, that's also an issue. What, what's that do to it? Uh, well, if you, if you have um, certain types of uh, materials that can react with those chemicals, so you kind of bite off your sunglasses if you're not using Yeah, the right yeah over time material. the sunglasses yeah. get deteriorate. Yes, that's right. They'll get stained. Or but the bottom line is it's plastic. Yes, that's or right. It's a form of plastic. Yeah, that's a form of plastic. So we, we then moved on to like looking at what you'd call bioplastic. So what they do is they replace the petroleum-based oil with plant-based oil. So what we've actually got in our material is uh, it's using a majority castor oil. So, so let me just go back a step. Beans. So can I just go back a step here? So in terms of your proposition, because it's complicated. Yeah. And I'm wanna, we're going to get to how you actually talk to tell this complicated story in a, in a few words. But the issue with petrol-based plastic is two. One, the plastic is usually not biodegradable, but it's also... Based from oil, it comes from oil. It's, yeah, it's, it's it comes fossil from oil. fuel. Yeah. It's a fossil fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Non-renewable yeah. fossil fuel yeah. is used to, yeah. to make it, and that's why two, two problems. That's, yeah, and that's yeah. the thing now, that I've. So your to, proposition is. So where we looked at it and go again, this is sort of my mathematical thing is like what's going to make the greatest impact. So in in looking impact at impact to what in terms of environmental sustainable impact yep. to reduce our environmental impact, I guess yep. make the greatest saving in environmental impact. So uh, you, by using this material, it's a uses majority um, castor bean oil instead of uh, petroleum-based oil. And in doing that, it cuts the uh, carbon emissions by close to 50% for every kilo of raw material that you produce. And that's looking at it from where the seeds are planted and grown to how it's processed. Uh, it's processed actually. So the, the seeds- Castor bean oil. Yeah. So is, that, they, is that castor oil? Yeah. I think it's the same as castor oil. It's castor bean plants and they get this little bean and they process that bean into an oil. Right. Um, and so it's 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 a quite a, a process because you also want to look at where those plants are grown because you don't want to have the castor beans being grown instead of food crops for developing countries. Yep. So it was very important to find- Like palm and, oil, the, the drama that you get from exactly, palm oil. Yeah. Exactly. 
So the thing about castor beans is it grows in semi-arid areas. So it's actually quite good for the yeah. aquaculture in those areas. And I don't want to speak out of turn, but there's a lot of research around that about the benefits for developing countries of growing castor beans. So the, the castor beans themselves will be grown in like India and, and um, South American countries. Uh, and then they transport to Switzerland. And that that's actually a, a big like, you know, company that, that does this. And they have a processing plant that's actually powered by biofuels as well because they're really monitoring the overall CO2 emissions for every kilo of material. Uh, and so by doing this whole process, by the time we get to the pellets, they've cut down maybe it's like six kilos of carbon or something emissions normally for um, a kilo of um, polycarbonate. And this one gets it down to, to, to close to three. Um, so you're looking at that and going, okay, well, we've saved 50% of the carbon emissions there. Then the other thing is, okay, by injection molding and reusing the runners, we're eliminating all our waste. Whereas with the acetate production, you had 90% scrap. Yeah. We've now got 10 times more frames that we can make with our material. Because That's, you can reinject the scrap. Yeah. You, no, and also because of the, is you that, don't have the holes getting cut yeah, out yeah, and yeah, ending yeah. up as sawdust. So it's a bit of both. Yeah. So, just to go back a little step on this complicated complication, but the castor bean oil must be still carbon-based. Yes. Yep. yes yeah. As as is the polycarbonates, yeah. which are just you know like lots of different carbons. Yeah. So it's still carbon-based. Yeah. Is there much difference between carbon bean oil um, material that you produce yeah. in your for your production? Is there much different in the structure of that relative to say the polycarbonates that maybe Oakley use? Is there much difference in the structure? Is there much difference in the material itself? We, well, it's a little bit softer. That's why we had that. Apart from being softer, yeah. So no, the technical properties are actually fantastic, but like there's certain so aesthetic problems that like so it's less. Like it doesn't have the same optical clarity. Like it, I'm talking about the frame, not the lens. Yeah, yeah I'm talking so about the, yeah. the the the. If you had a clear lens, you'd see that's not quite as clear. It's like because it's not as synthetic, right? Yep. So uh, it's probably less refined. So there's, but te- from a technical point of view, for what we need it for, which is to hold eyewear lenses and stick to your face, it's it works really well. So because what I'm trying to get to here is because I, I do want to get onto the marketing how you, how you tell your story, but if I could just summarize it because it is complicated, but. Well, there's lots of parts to it, but basically you decided to produce a material that was very efficient in terms of wastage because it's injected, injected molded. The material you injected into the dye or the mold was more efficiently made in terms of emissions yeah. relative to the current stuff that gets used by, other, by your competitors yeah. or the other brands. The, the way the materials work, once you got the, the frame – it's close enough. It's close the, enough yeah. to the good guys. Yeah, um, and I presume you're doing it at a price which is, relatively speaking, allows you to price your price where you want to price it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, so tell me why I should buy, apart from price, why I should feel like I should buy your material, for, if I'm environmentally sensitive, and you know, why I should buy your material. What is it, your material? You're saying it's plant-based because that's the best way you can tell your story. Yeah. But at the same day, you still got a carbon-based product. Yeah. So why is it? Give me a, a bit more complicated. I mean, the the I think the like from my mathematical point of view, it's a fifty percent reduction in carbon emissions. I mean, that uh, was the biggest thing uh. because yeah, that's it. Right. You look at the beginning of life because you you know when you're producing stuff, you just see masses of stuff getting made. And for me, like you know you got to be careful of like what you're making like because you can't control how it's going to end because 
I, I want to be really clear. The products are not biodegradable because yeah, I don't yeah. want to be green. Yeah, because it's still, it's still yeah, carbon-based. It's not yeah, biodegradable. Yeah. But we have to look at that and go, well, how do you make something that's biodegradable? And even then, like we've got this interesting thing with uh, packaging, yeah, where we want to use compostable like packaging, but then that reduces the shelf life and the compostable stuff gets kind of sticky. So then all of a sudden our frames would have this sticky shit all over them like after six months and then all of a sudden we've made something that's not, you know, has to be disposed in six months, have a shorter shelf life. So then there's all these other, other complexities. Because one thing about engineers, they're very practical and they're very big on optimization. Yeah. So you're about optimizing yeah. the outcome. So I'm not being emotional about like hugging trees here. Like, no, no, you know, totally. This is the most efficient thing we could do within price point to have the biggest impact in terms of like minimizing our environmental impact. Because if we want to have zero environmental impact, we wouldn't make anything. We, like, wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't wear sunglasses. Yeah. Because the, uh, because then, whatever you make, you're going to fall apart. It'd be made of cardboard or something. Yeah, or something. that's right. It's like the bamboo sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also got to be fit for purpose. I mean, I use the analogy of like, if you, you can ha- make a really healthy meal, but if it tastes like shit, no one's going to eat it. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. I mean, and that in itself is a waste because you just wasted whatever you put into that healthy meal because yeah. no one wanted to eat and it. And someone had to grow it. And, yeah. Uh, and someone had to feed it and someone had to manage it. And, you know, yeah, 100%. So- Right, so we've got this fairly complicated engineering process that an engineer has put together, but it's all about optimization from his point of view. But the proposition to me, the consumer, is the price point. And if I am interested in the environment and I do want to contribute to the environment in relation to what I buy, and in particular in relation to my eyewear, then there is a 50% efficiency or 50% less emissions yeah. in the manufacture of these frames relative to most of the other marketplace. Yeah. I mean, tell me about your marketing program. How, how, what are you doing to tell this story? Well, you saw the ads. I mean, marketing is a, a very tricky thing when it comes to consumers as well because, you know, you got a, a very blunt instrument <laughs> that you're trying to, like, get the most uh, results out of. I mean, for us it has been complicated because like i said there's you know there's not that much thought that people putting in like you said when you're buying your glasses just buying the same brand or changing lenses well only because so, i didn't really think about it uh, like now you, you, make, have to, you got enough stuff to think about but, but, you, but, but, yeah, but no one's made me think about it <laughs> yeah you, you're right that's a very important point there's a lot of shit i've got to think about everyone's got to think about a lot yeah. of shit today like yeah. there's a more but like if i can compare now to like 40 years ago yeah. when i was a young guy in my 20s i'd have i would say today there's 10 times as a factor of 10 in terms yeah. of what I've got to think about. Okay? Yeah. So not because I'm older, just because it's, that's just the way the world's become. Information, yeah. So for you to get me to think about my eyewear outside of my normal program to what I was talking about before, I just go and buy the same shit all the time. Yeah. You have to give me something compelling that puts it up to the top of my priority list. Yeah. So what you've got to do is get into my brain yeah. something compelling that allows me to prioritize why I would buy your glasses. Yeah. Now, how do you get that out to the masses? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a lot about storytelling, but ultimately I think you might see the bus ad, but the best way to do that is actually from, you know, where the mouth. So we do try to work with retailers and, and give them that training and stuff. And we've, we've started doing some PR and kind of explaining a, a little bit more because this is something we've been working on for a while. So, you know, we had this product, which I thought was great, but it wasn't like it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I think, you know, we're, we're also making that shift from being uh, a product-based company to, to starting to focus on marketing. Because yeah. you know, for me, I think we actually neglected a lot of marketing because I was just obsessed with the product and 
I wasn't happy with it, to be honest, to really get it out there that much. So now that we're, it's at a point where we're like, we're really happy with it. We're trying to tell that story. Um, but it is just sort of saying like, okay, we're going to do this. It's better for the environment because of this. And it's also better for you because of this other factor. So there's that other factor that we have to talk about, which is the consumer behavior. So you've moved away from cool, like, you know, sunglasses often get sold on cool, you know, like mob. Oakley, I've got to have Oakley's, I've got to have Ray-Bans because everyone's got them, like that type of thing. Do you throw cool in there? Well, in a niche way, because we can't go and get, you know, we're not going to get Michael Jordan like Oakley had in the 90s or whatever. So, you know, you can't go head to head with that sort of stuff. So you want to be targeting. So I guess... You're from a marketing point of view, you're you're looking more towards early adopters or trendsetters or people that you might ask for their opinion um, when I'm buying something new or like a new brand or you know we've all got that guy like you know that probably watches too much TV and you're like hey see anything good on Netflix like you know I ask that guy yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't ask someone that you know doesn't have a like you know that might have like a vested interest in in selling me something else um, so there's there's definitely trying to simplify that messaging and that was a big part of like our rebrand and stuff as well like you know. People, you've only got a small amount of time to make an impression. So now, like, you know, even when they're on the shelves, like we say very clearly, plant-based polarized. Those are the two things that people want to hear. And I kind of learned that from like trying to tell like the staff at like some department stores, like how to sell the product. Like, oh, they've got spring hinges and they do this and they do that. But there's like three things they want to hear. Right. Polarized, spring hinges, and now it's plant-based. So t- take so, me through that because, I mean, you saying that's what um, the people who sell these things deal with every day that's what they they say in the customer and let's say you know person goes to dave jones they're asked they're, they're the things i ask for are they like well it's, 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 i think it's the it's i think hinges are actually very important for me like from a technical point of view it's where stuff breaks it's where like you've got metal hitting plastic like when you've got two different materials that's where you're going to get the the structural issues um but it's also a comfort thing so for me like you know we we're very much like you know these are the most comfortable sunglasses you'll ever wear that's why we put the spring hinges instead of the, the non-spring ones. And also we had like quite a big market in Japan and like they typically have like an alternative fit. But by having like spring hinges, it's kind of a bit more of a one size fits all. And that was very much in line with our ethos, our, our, our taglines for locals everywhere. And like, so it's very much like, you know, being gender neutral, but also like, you know, one thing for everyone sort of thing. Uh, and we've definitely expanded since then into more more shapes and stuff. But yeah, I think, the guys at David Jones have, you know, 50 other sunglasses they can sell and the people there are surrounded by sunglasses. So, you know, why go for these guys as opposed to someone else? And you've got to make that something they're actually going to remember when they're staying there talking to people. How well. much do you rely on um, uh, online relative to, um, say, selling in a store? Uh, at the moment, we're predominantly wholesale. So we're online. 80, no, no, we're, no, we're oh, only okay. 20% you're, online. You're, you're yeah. supplying retailers. Yeah, yeah. And then it's... Uh, Part of that is because, you know, I, I always left online until later because it, it was always changing. And, uh, and uh, as a very small like team, uh, running a wholesale business to like some very big wholesale accounts, and we were wholesaling internationally and stuff for a while. It's a lot to manage. <laughs> it's a lot of logistics and, and that sort of stuff as well. So And there's like a lot of technical stuff as well that comes with that, like EDI and, and whatnot. So we, I was always like of the view, like we can fix our online store later. And I kind of kicked that can down the road. Whereas I never want to be the brand that was dropped by David Jones. <laughs> and so that's been my issue for the last seven years where we've always tried to manage that relationship um, quite well. But now obviously there's a shift. People are shopping more online. And I think, you know, COVID's brought 
about changes that were bound to happen. So what um, happened during COVID to you? Like, what, what was your experience during COVID? Oh, yeah, our sales went to basically zero, like <laughs> from yeah. wholesale. Because um, so you were relying on stores. Or yeah, relying on stores. So yeah, I mean, that was a eye-opening thing. Like, you know, for me, I guess also over the years, we went from being something that I had put a lot of thought of and, you know, thought into and like had a lot of control over to then having to water it down to be commercial, to, to fit into those channels. And then... um and then COVID sort of happened and like it wouldn't have mattered whether we were commercial or not. We, we kind of went to zero. So um, from a wholesale perspective anyway, and I think um, Jim Carrey said something about like I think his dad where he, he got fired from this job that he hated. And I think that was sort of a moment where I'm like, well, this business could just go bankrupt anyway. So it might as well be something that I'm really proud of and I really am excited about. And that's sort of what's ch- turned the corner for us in the last 12 months where I'm like, Okay, well, I only want to do stuff this way and it might not work. And we had to raise our prices, not by much, by like $20 to, to make plant-based materials. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Like, that's what I want to do now. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, you know, there's a chance that, you know, a lot of this stuff is not in my control anyway. So I might so, as well do so, something So during like. the COVID period when you, you, your sales went to zero, how'd you, because I, I read in the brief that your sales increased by 50%. So. We had our worst quarter ever in April. And then our best quarter ever in December. So, yeah, so what, 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 what was that? A was that a response to people going back to the stores, or what was it? I think you know the new range was just very thought out. We've been working on it for a long time. Like I said, our first prototype was five years ago. Um, because uh, our business slowed down so much, I stopped all our production because um, the the process of changing production processes and toolings is is quite complicated, and you've got like a stock overhang. So we just focused on selling down all our stock because I also didn't want to just dump it and discount it. So we were very like cautious about like rolling down some stock and then rolling in the other stock. And we had to be very adaptive because we didn't know when this, you know, when people were going to go back into stores and and whatnot. So we, we started to produce very slowly. And then um, I think we were just ready when, you know, people. But do, do, can I ask you this, Sean? Do, I, do you think that people started to think, have more time to think about what it is they needed to fix um, or what they needed to replace? Yeah. I mean, I, I can just talk about survey one. I mean, that was something that I went through. I thought, oh, well, I need this and I need another, you know, like uh, a toiletry bag to put, in, to put in my suitcase when I eventually do travel and things that I had neglected that I hadn't done for a long time. Sunglasses, you know, you know, I really need another pair of sunglasses to put in my farm so I don't have to, you know, if I go up, then I forget to take my sunglasses from Sydney, then I don't get up, then I've got no fucking sunglasses. I mean, just little things. Um but we te- then we tended to research it a bit too. So we thought, I've got a bit more time. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm stuck here on my computer. I might as well start looking this shit up. Yeah. And as long as you can get into their framework, you know, yeah. if you can get into the somehow, you know, somehow hit them online with a with a marketing story. Yeah. Then they're, they're more likely to pick it up. So you know, I might go into Iconic and start look through Iconic. Or my, I know my sons do. Yeah. They go. They start. Look, they're researching stuff. So you know, because I know because two of my sons live at home currently. Mm. Every day, something was arriving in the post yeah. from the Iconic. So last year became a great period for period for people to build great awareness of yeah. their story. Do you, yeah. Did you feel that sense that? Ah, uh, yes, I think so. Definitely, I think people had more time to do that research. But I also think there was a lot of self reflection. There was a lot of social justice stuff happening last yep. year sustainability stuff because of the bushfires. So I think people were really looking for things. I think there's a, a curiosity. Shift, yeah. Behavioral shift towards shopping online, but then also a philosophical shift in the consumer yeah. about what they're buying. Um, I think there was a movement against a lot of consumerism as well, which I think helped like, cause people are shifting away from fast fashion, understanding the consequences of that. And I think in our, 
price point, a lot of our competitors are really fast fashion. So that's also where at the higher end of the, that sub $100 category, but we've got a different ethos, I guess. So, but I also think like it's the little things that make, you know, have like very long-term effects. Like, you know, I think by banning plastic bags, it made everyone more thoughtful about sustainability and recycling. Just by, because they're doing it, there's a, there's a confirmation bias to their behavior, right? Once you start going, okay, well, I'm not going to get this disposable plastic bag, then you start making that same decision in other aspects of your life. And I think that's, you know, just the, the position we're in now. And that's why, you know, people might not have asked about the materials. And to be honest, we did actually re release a small range of plant-based materials about five years ago. People didn't really care then. But people care now. So now's the right time. I, I really do think COVID has created a reset in terms of how we think as consumers. And people like you... Um, who took advantage of that or, or do well. Um, so, but that means you've got to get into my purview. Like, yeah, you've got to get me online. You've got to come at me. So what did you use? Instagram, Facebook, what did you use? Yeah. So at the moment we're, we're doing uh, a bit more in terms Google. of Instagram ads and stuff. We've done a little bit of Google, like, cause I, a lot of it is like trying to drive traffic to the website because that's where we're able yeah. to tell a bit more of a story. Instagram. So you're, you're targeting people through Instagram. Yeah. Ads. And so when you come at me through Instagram on a sponsored ad, for example, you're trying to push me into the funnel. So yes. you're trying to get me to read your website, go to your website. Yes, right. But you're going to you're going to hit me on Instagram yeah. with something that's maybe entertaining or interesting or blah, whatever yeah. it is it's going to get me. And then you're going to drop me down the funnel and you're going to try and grab me when I get into yeah, your that's right. website. Essentially, if you're at the top of funnel, you've got zero brand awareness. So you're what you'd say is a cold audience, like you've never heard of me before. So the first thing I want to do is, is catch your eye with something that's going to make you remember me. Mm probably the bus ads or the made from plants, not petrol. Even if you're one of those guys that wants to heckle us and say, well, actually petrol is made from plants. Still got, you your, still attention. got your attention. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's the first one. Then after that, once you've like sort of familiar with the brand, you, you hit people with retargeting, which is like your middle of funnel um, stuff, I would say, which is if you've been to the website, you'll get some more ads. They might be slightly different messaging. Do you build on a landing page? So you No, we don't, we're not that sophisticated. You push them into the website. Generally. We just go straight to the website. Okay. Like where I mean, ask them a question. To be honest, I run like the Facebook ads myself again. Like, so it's not, it's not that sophisticated. Um, but yeah, we'll go to our, um, our website and we kind of, it gives us a chance to just talk about like the product and like why it's different because ultimately like, People have short attention spans. They're getting barraged with so much stuff on social media. Yep. But I think, you know, ultimately people aren't going to look at what you're selling unless it's kind of cool or relevant to them. <laughs> so that's also image is kind of important there. Uh, and then as they get lower in the funnel, um, you you go for like more just like direct sales retargeting. So you'd go from maybe like the initial just, you know, emotion brand story to like maybe like giving them a little bit more information about the product. And then at the end, you're really just trying to close. Um, so those are people that have maybe added to cart or like been on the website very recently. They're going to get the bottom of funnel stuff. And that's, um, that's the, I guess the digital marketing, I guess, for us in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, for me, it was very much like, okay, well, you know, I've had this business for a long time. Um, you know, we're, we're in a much better cash flow position. I think it's, you know, COVID was one of those things where you just had to cut everything down to zero. Like we're working from home. So, yeah. you know, we've like cut a lot of costs out. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, we, I had to consider like, do we want to be uh, offensively positioned or defensively positioned? Because you look Initially. at recessions. Yeah, Initially, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I think this is a time to be, to take all that money and spend on marketing. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're, so we're trying to do. Yeah. So I think that uh, that's probably, for me anyway, that seems to be the strategy that works best for most people. 
that that obviously has worked for you too. Um, your question to me though is my question to you is I I heard you say on one of your uh, interviews that you spent like three million bucks on a TV advertising campaign and it just didn't work. And sometimes it's six hard. million it was six million was mm. it right? Yeah, that's that's twice as painful. <laughs> so um, uh, you know, what would you I guess suggest to me from a marketing point of view, like? I guess, how would you improve on your experience of spending $6 million on TV ad? What would you do differently now? But then also, how would you apply it to, say, my business? Yeah, well, I, I think it's very difficult in 30 seconds on a television ad to um, put a closer ad up there. You know, it's, it's very difficult to put up there something that I, that's closing you, in other words. Yeah. Really, I'll be honest, all, all, I think all television is really good for right now is brand awareness. Yeah. And by the way, the back of the bus is good for brand awareness too. Yeah. TV is probably the, the best because it probably hits the largest audience, but you're sharing the space with a lot of people and it's sort of more a spray technique because you don't know who you're sharing it with. You don't know who, what the real makeup of, of the audience is. Yeah. You, and you can't go and analyze it. You, there's no digital data that you're going to yeah. get the TV station alone. Yeah. Data and they don't really know. You can't themselves. retarget them the same you way. Can, you, and you definitely it. can't retarget it. So I think, I actually think of a budget, let's say you got a hundred thousand um, dollars. I would, I reckon, I mean, given that you're already in business, you're not just coming onto the marketplace. Um, I would have thought thirty to forty percent of your hundred thousand on brand awareness through mainstream above the line type advertising okay. is the right way to go for a period of time because it just takes a long time. That's the issue. It, it takes, takes years. A long time. It yeah. takes years. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. But I really think the balance of your marketing budget should be spent on. Um, I'm putting aside the use of influencers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, like ambassadors, et cetera. You know, like if you can, you know, if you're lucky enough to get them. But the 60% of the actual spend, I think, should be digital. And I think landing pages are good as opposed to just going, because you're right, you, you are, get a bit of detail from them. You know, you ask a few questions. Yeah. Allows you then to sort of follow them around a little bit as opposed to getting them to follow you. Yeah. You're getting them to follow you. You really want to be following them. They don't think you're following, but you want to be, and just giving them, stuff you know, and see what they're interested in because you can measure digital but it's you can measure some digital better than other digital so i think landing page is probably a better way of getting through the funnel so-called funnel um and again though it's it's repetition repeat repetition do it again do it again refine it do it again change direction for me i would have that would be the split of my spend um because it's, it's it's a visual thing mm. I want to see those sunglasses on somebody because really, like you said before, it might be a really healthy meal, but if it looks like shit, I'm not buying it. Yeah. So you got to convince me it looks pretty good. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. And that only takes a second, but it, of my vision, I go, oh, that's cool. But then you've got to hit me with something I remember Yeah. on TV. So you've been doing that on the back of the buses. I really do think Yeah. I, I never knew anything about the chemistry or the engineering of these glasses, but I do remember seeing it as plant-based. Okay, great. Now, you got me interested. Yeah. Not enough though to go and investigate. That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, but not yet. Yeah. But, but, but I am aware of you. Yeah. So, unprompted. Yeah. I'm not aware of you. Prompted. I am aware of you. Yeah. Right. What you now need to do is go and tell me why I need to buy it. Right. And that, and you got to come. You have not come. At, I haven't seen you on my stuff, but maybe I'm not yeah. a, in your target audience. But if you then started sending stuff to me on Instagram or Instagram or something yeah. like that, I, I'm. I might look at that. I might say, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. I'm curious. Mm, yeah. If you're landing, got a landing page there, then I might go to that and I might say, yeah, I'll look, here's some details. Yeah. And I might just register, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but for me, I think a percentage of your 
total to spend should st- still be on something like either billboards or buses or something like that. Something yeah. I see a lot right away, that's in my that, car. Yeah. But it's quite smart because people wear sunglasses in cars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, largely. It's like if I'm in my car, I've got glasses on and it's a, a thing that I, I, you know, I am aware of it. Yeah. It's a good place to put it. I think TV is too crowded. For you. It's probably probably too expensive too. Yeah. And then the next place you're going to start, you've got to start coming at people here. You've got to keep doing it. It's just to <laughs> yeah. repeat, 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 repeat. I think you're better off spending $300,000 a year, for argument's sake, for three years and spending 900000 in one year. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, you bet just keep doing it. It's, yeah. It's, it's a long game. I believe that with business to uh, consumer marketing, I think it's a long game. And I think that's where... Maybe the engineering stuff at the beginning doesn't work for marketing because you no. think you spend X dollars and you get Y sales, but that's actually just there's no not optimization how it works. here. <laughs> there's not it doesn't have a there's no relationship. Yeah, you know, don't look for the relationship. You will you'll be able to see it over time mm. because you know marketing is a funny thing. It's got a it's got a register in my neurologically, and you need other events to help it. So you you mentioned something very important a moment ago. You have a natural rising tide of events that are occurring. Those events actually help all your marketing. Yeah. But you need those events. Yeah. And you don't know when they're going to come or what th- what form they're going to be. Yeah. But w- there is a tide of awareness around plastic, recyclables, you know, efficiency in production, you know, um, emissions. That's a new wave, you know, yeah. Tesla, batteries, car, you know, the yeah. whole thing. And you want to be on that wave. Yeah. But that's, you, you can't control the wave. So you no. just got to be there. Yeah. So you're better off allocating smaller amounts over a longer period of time. Yeah. Because the wave will it will build up. It's building. Okay. Thank you. That's, that's good advice. You're very welcome. Sean Sather, thanks very much. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.